Hello, my fellow crimeys. Is that even a word? I guess it is now. So for those of you joining for the first time, or if you're a 10-second Tom from 51st State, remember him? Hi, I'm Tom. <laughs> I am the player, Benny Scala, the host of the long-running Dan and Benny in the Ring podcast, as well as a weekly participant on the 30 and Wrestling Remembered shows, all of which can be seen on the Monty and the Pharaoh YouTube channel. Damn, just saying that made me, me tired. Uh, I want to take a nap because I'm old. <laughs> and of course, what would true crime be without the bad girl? What would, would, would true crime with the bad girl in the play be without my partner? Easy for me to say. In true crime, the one and only Boston bad girl, Lee Sirenow, situate New England Hall of Fame professional wrestler Brittany Brown. Brittany, in the words of Enzo Amore, bada bing, bada boom, realest guy in the room. How you doing? I'm doing fine. Thank you. How are you? I'm great. Just a little bit Actually, I think this shirt should be a true crime. What, what do you think? <laughs> I just the, the, the dress code police are probably waiting outside my door as we speak. And we are once again joined by our esteemed friend and colleague, the president of Thursday night, Senor Guns, the kind of Monte Fisto, Phil DeCesare. Phil, how are you, my friend? Doing great, man, but my orange jumpsuit is in the wash, so we'll have to settle for the neon shirt tonight, you know. I'm hardly a fashion plate myself. Well, How many digits does it have on it? (laughs) (laughs) Well, as we all know, the world of professional wrestling, as always, continues to be rife with shocking news. So, Phil, the Billy Jack Haynes case seems to be evolving on a daily basis. Uh, Any updates last True Crime episode on Monday? I've been searching high and low, Benny, and I haven't seen too much regarding his, uh, we, we know his whereabouts, but in terms of the status or the evolution of uh, where he's being housed, I'm not I'm not too aware right now. I've been doing my du- uh, due diligence, but I've not seen anything. I've searched for some local um, reports from some of the uh, channels in the Portland area, and I have not seen anything yet. Have you seen anything at all on, on Mr. Haynes? It, you know, it's been real hush hush for the past. It has days. mysteriously so. You know, even uh, even the whole McMahon thing, and that's you know, I was going to say that you know that, that continues to have its twists and turns. And the latest is that a woman named Cara Pippia. Hopefully, I said that yeah. right. Oh, yeah, sister to Cara Mia, that great song by Jane the Americans. Um, <laughs> a close friend of Ashley Massaro is now alleging that Stephanie McMahon was aware of. Uh, Masara's alleged rape in 2006 by a member of the U.S. Army while on a WWE trip to Kuwait. And I apologize for the multiple use of the word alleged, but at this point, I mean, that's really all these things are. Nothing's been proven yet. Um, Now, we've talked about this case extensively, and I'm sure we're going to have a future episode or 10 about it. But really quick, I want to ask both of you guys, starting with Brittany. So if this happened in 2006, where has this Carol lady been for the past 18 years? Yeah, I, I, you know, I saw that the whole thing. Um, I was a little alarmed with the way she was talking and acting. Um, didn't make her look too credible or sound too credible. Right. And I agree with you. Why now? Why now? Why didn't you come out with it the day after she committed suicide or a week after or a month after? Even Yeah, that, that's my point. Yeah, it just doesn't make sense. I don't understand it. I mean, it's horrible that her friend died. And I do believe that is a lot of the reason why that happened. Um, You know, I've known about this for a long time. 
And I also heard that the higher ups in the WWE have known about it for a very long time. So. Yeah. How about you, Phil? What do you think? I kind of thinketh it stinketh a little bit. I, I have to say, again, the timing of it is where was this woman for all these years? Surely her voice would have been heard. We can right. understand maybe if the wheels of justice behind the scenes were, were turning slowly as they tend to do. But I'm, you know, given the age we live in, you know, now if a tree falls in the forest, we're all going to hear it because someone's going to be there. So, you know, we should have heard already about this from this woman. We, we really should have had the backstory already. And again, you know, now we're targeting Stephanie McMahon. And it does seem like there is kind of a, a concerted effort just to take all of the McMahons out of the company and out of the business. So, um, yeah, uh, again, she would have had much more credibility if she came on the scene way back when so you know again you know here the situation is we're talking about a woman herself a victim who's been dead for a number of years too who can't even speak on this so you know i'm not ready to jump on this yet and, and buy into everything she says but who knows totally agree. totally agree so folks anyone who knows anyone who knows any or all of us hang on one second let me yeah, do we see uh, Miss Pippia here? <laughs> Not a good look. But anyone who knows any or all of us knows what professional mm. wrestling means to us. I don't. Uh, I know Phil because Phil knows every. He uh, he gets all of my references. Remember the movie Back to School, Professor uh, Turgeson. Of course I do. The late great Sam Kinison. Of course I do. Talking about prof- uh, Talking about history. Yeah. He said history was precious and sacred. You cradle in your arms just like a newborn. And that's how we feel about professional wrestling and its uh, glory, rich and glory past. And that was the basis for choosing not really another wrestler, but somebody with some wrestling connection, which is Dr. Sam Shepard, the good doctor turned very bad wrestler as the uh, subject for this episode. And Dr. Sam, although Dr. Sam and this case go, it goes way back to the 50s, way before pretty much any of our times. It's still very unique and uh, interesting. And the bad girl is going to take us through the Cliff Notes version of this story. Yes. Uh, so this is a very interesting one. And, um, you know, talk talk about twists and turns. But, yeah, Sam Shepard, by all accounts, he had the perfect life. That's the way it looked. He was a neurosurgeon at Bayview Hospital, was married to a beautiful woman named Marilyn, and had a young son named Chip. They had a beautiful lakefront home in Cleveland and frequently entertained neighbors. Such was the case on July 3rd, 1954. During the course of the evening, Dr. Sam fell asleep on the daybed in the living room. Marilyn walked the neighbors out and went to bed in their upstairs bedroom. In the early morning hours of July 4th, 1954, Marilyn Shepard was bludgeoned to death in her bed with an unknown instrument. The bedroom was covered with blood splatter. Drops of blood were found throughout the house. Some items from the house, including Dr. Sam's wristwatch, keychain, and key, and fraternity ring, appeared to have been stolen. They were later found in a canvas bag in the shrubbery behind the house. According to Shepard, he was sleeping soundly on the daybed downstairs when he heard the cries from his wife. He ran upstairs where he saw a white, form in the bedroom and was 
it's a weird way to explain it. Um, mm. it was subsequently knocked unconscious. Yeah, is it a biped? I think yeah. He said, yeah. Opinion. I don't like a yeti or a sasquatch, a bi- an upright biped. I don't know. <laughs> like a white four. Chupacabra. I mean, come on. <laughs> and um, when he awoke, he saw the person, this white form. Um, the Michelin uh, man. Yeah, downstairs. <laughs> you say guy, you know. Chased the intruder out of the house down to the beach where they tussled, <laughs> and uh, Shepard was knocked again unconscious. At 5.40 a.m., a neighbor who was actually the town's mayor received an urgent phone call from Shepard who pleaded for him to come to his house. When the neighbor and his wife arrived, Dr. Sam was found shirtless and his pants were wet with a blood stain on the knee. Authorities arrived shortly after. Shepard seemed very disoriented and in shock. The family dog was not heard barking to indicate that there was an intruder. And their seven-year-old son, uh, Sam Reese Chip Shepard, was asleep in the adjacent bedroom throughout the incident. So that's interesting. So, Phil, there's no barking. The young son was still asleep in the next room, and there are no signs of an intruder or a struggle. And he calls the mayor instead of the police. What is Detective Phil's first instinct? You know, one could easily jump to the conclusion that uh, the mayor was an ally, maybe a political ally, someone who would help him uh, clean up a scene. But, you know, when I hear things like about the dog not barking and the child not um, waking up, my first thought is maybe it is someone from outside the family who's familiar with the family and familiar with the dog. And and actually, on that thought, um, they had a, a workman under their employ who had come regularly to do everything from painting to odd jobs and that sort of thing. And and the records, I think, indicate now that he had a, a bit of a fixation with, with Mrs. Shepard. So I'm seeing that it's plausible that he... Again, knowing their schedule, probably even knowing their weekend plans for it's my understanding that he's done he had done a lot of work again at the home, so he was kind of an unobtrusive kind of visitor. He could probably just come and go. Um, might have been uh, the man responsible, and not to jump ahead, but this man in later years. Um, was convicted and actually died in prison for another murder. So uh, not related to this, but of a woman. And, uh, you know, to me, that seems my first instinct, my first thought, suspect number one would be this guy. And I have his name somewhere, um, and you guys might too. But uh, when I read that, I thought, makes total sense, you know? Because uh, I think he was yeah, also in prison for some sexual crimes as well. So this guy was uh, was not a was not a Boy Scout, mm-hmm. you know. And uh, so I'm I'm, I'm kind of leaning towards that. And you know, with respect to Doctor Shepard and um, claiming to be knocked out twice, mm. I think it is plausible. In fact, Doctor Shepard's own doctor or the doctor—I don't know if it was actually his—who. Um, examined him he was found to have a broken cracked vertebrae in his back okay 
Uh, so this notion that he was hit with significant blunt, um, blunt force from behind, this is not something that he could do himself. I mean, I know he knows anatomy well, and he, you know, he could, you know, if anyone could feign an injury like this, maybe he could. But apparently, it was at such an angle and such a situation. Um, that he was obviously struck from behind from somebody. And when it comes to, you know, of course he was describing this intruder as like this amorphous white form biped or whatever. I also heard him describe the intruder as someone with a bushy hair too. Um, again, he might not have been seeing right, right at that time too. So he was in a stupor to begin with, whether he was actually fully conscious when he was fighting for his life and trying to, to save his wife, you know, and of course he was again, knocked out down at the beach. So, um, to me, I really don't see, again, this is just my outsider looking in view that, that he had anything to do with this, but I don't know what you, I want to hear what you guys have to say. <laughs> Yeah, we'll, we'll definitely get to that. You know, I have two quick takes, though. You know, one is, well, Jay Wills is in the chat room. Oh, good. He's a great trivia person. Yeah. And, you know, the, the reason why I'm going to bring this up is because, Phil, you mentioned he was knocked out twice. Yeah. And when, when I, you know, when I, my first thought was to uh, Jimmy Olsen in Superman. Cub reporter. Yeah. How many times do you think, and in, in, I don't know how many episodes there are Superman, uh, what's his real name? I think Jack Larson. Yes, the original how, and greatest. How many, how many yeah. times was Jack Larson pistol whipped in in Superman? I, I, the under over, I'm going to say is about seventy three. <laughs> it seems like every episode he got knocked out at least once. But you know, the, the so. only thing that that really kind of um, you know because we all have kids and everything is that when he came to um, that he you know he apparently heard a noise downstairs. And he chased the intruder supposedly out of the house. And then he's, you know, he's tussling with the guy on the lake. You know, as a parent, my, my very first instinct would have been, you know, to go into that kid's room, yeah. make sure he's safe before I did anything. So that's that's my one, you know, to me, that's a huge red flag. But now keep in mind that we're talking about the 1950s here. Absolutely. Many years before the Internet, cell phone, mm -hmm. uh, social media, even television was in its relative infancy. That's when uh, the days of wrestling and the Dumont Network. And uh, the main source of communication was, hard as it is to believe, in 2024, the newspaper. And yeah. now... I don't know why, but for whatever reason, the Cleveland press was not a huge fan of uh, Dr. Sam Shepard. In fact, they put pressure on the coroner to do an inquest, and shortly afterwards, uh, Shepard was arrested. They immediately focused on him. The police didn't believe his story, and uh, you know they, they didn't really want to consider any other suspects. But the press ran many stories, which are quite actually inflammatory, towards Shepard, uh, a federal judge later made the remark, if there was ever a trial by newspaper, this is a perfect example. And th this really gets me. There was a popular radio show alleging that Shepard was having an affair with a New York City woman uh, with who he had uh, fathered a child. And two members of the jury, not only did they hear this, uh, but the jury was not sequestered. They did admit to the judge that they heard the broadcast. And the judge didn't even remove him from the jury. And, you know, if Frank Barone was here, I'd be, he'd be screaming, holy crap, right? Uh, it sure sounds like the deck was stacked against the dock, um, the deck against the dock. The, the trial <laughs> ended on December 30, uh, 21st after four days of deliberation. That bad girl, you were going to tell me that despite the overwhelming odds, Dr. Sam had a nice early Merry Christmas, right? Ah, <laughs> my friend. 
the the jury found Shepard guilty of second degree murder. So it wasn't a very Merry Christmas. He was sentenced to life in prison on January 7th, 1955, about two and a half weeks after the trial ended, Shepard's mother, Ethel, was found dead from a self-inflicted gunshot. Eleven days after that, his father, Richard, died of a bleeding gastric ulcer. So I would say not a very happy Christmas season for Mr. Doctor. No. (laughs) Not at all. So you're telling me in a span of 199 days, which is a little bit more than six and a half months. So he loses his wife to murder. His mom to suicide, his dad to illness. Oh, and by the way, now he's a convicted murderer. I mean, that sounds like a country record. The only thing you're missing is a, a dog with a broken leg, right? A hound. Otherwise, you've got the whole thing. And the pickup truck. Uh, so he does, he does serve 10 years. And his attorney, William Cargan, spent six years uh, issuing appeals on Shepard's case, all of which were summarily rejected. And as a result of this, William Cargan left his law practice and formed a rock band called Smashing Pumpkins. Um, actually, he passed away in 1961. Yeah. I knew Phil would get that one. And his, case, <laughs> and his case was taken over by a young attorney named F. Lee Bailey. And if that name sounds familiar, it's because he was part of the dream team yeah. that defended O.J. Simpson. And Bailey uh, had a writ, writ of habeas corpus. If I said that right, granted yes. on uh, July 15th, 1964. So our special investigator, Phil, a.k.a. Senior Guns, a.k.a. the Thursday Night President, a.k.a. the Count of Monte Fisto, I'm tired, uh, was not present at the trial, due in large part to not having been born yet. But he has done his homework, and I'll fill us in about the appeal as well as the retrial. Yes, absolutely. Um, yeah, the great F. Lee Bailey did uh, come to the defense uh, again after after uh, his sentencing, his conviction for second-degree murder. Um, F. Lee Bailey came. He charged that Judge Blythen was actually with improper conduct in federal court, which means he um, did very little to shield Dr. Shepard from the media circus that that uh, ensued. We remember 1994-1995 OJ and the circus that was, okay? The circus that launched 24-hour news coverage, oh, yeah. okay? The, the uh, white bronco, the slow chase, and, and everything subsequent. But again, against the backdrop, the backdrop, and not the back body drop, but the backdrop of 1954 when this all went down. Tony Soprano said in The Sopranos, one episode, they were all at the dinner table and and meadow his daughter brought up the subject of sex and tony said i don't care what year it is out there in here it's 1954 okay (laughs) because in 1954 you know we think of happy days we think of innocence so the kind of case as salacious as this was was traumatic to traumatic to the nation you know it really was and again when a person is traumatized especially a jury they really can't think straight and and uh, as a result, and, and according to um, Attorney Bailey's um, viewpoint, it kind of corrupted the court. And uh, he appealed, ultimately, took it to the Supreme Court. Okay. And uh, what ultimately happened in 1966, the high court supported the original ruling that's um, citing the judge's failure to protect Shepard from all this, this circus. Okay. And uh, the state of, of Ohio actually had an option to retry Shepard, which they did. But this time he was found not guilty, okay? Um, the evidence was uh, 
was was virtually non-existent. Okay, and again, a lot of the circumstantial stuff with the you know, particularly with the uh, affair with his um, lab assistant. Again, really, again, against the the context of the times, really painted him as you know, okay, if he's guilty of, of adultery and affair, he must be guilty of murder. And I think that was kind of the mindset back then. And again, we're talking about Cleveland, Ohio. Okay. Uh, you know, hardly New York City or or uh, or Hollywood or anywhere else. So, I mean, you know, we we talk about such a conservative, uh, almost backwater kind of place. So, I mean, all those factors went in. But again, ultimately, um, he was released, and um, so he had a few good years uh, after. So, in the fall of 1966, uh, he was retried, but this time again, not guilty, and uh, he was let out. And then, of course, enter. Uh, the world of professional wrestling eventually. And uh, I know you guys will, will jump on a little bit from there. Absolutely. Thanks for, for that great report. And now bad girl, before we got into Whitey Bulger, I mentioned that I knew very little about him, but I, I was drawn in hook, line and sinker. How much did you know about this guy? And I mean, he's from the, you know, the distant past 70 years ago. Uh, what did you know about, how much did you know about Dr. Sam Shepard? And what are your thoughts on this case? Well, you know, the more I have found out, which is quite a bit more, I didn't know a whole lot. I, I knew he was a doctor. I knew what kind of doctor he was. I knew what he was accused of, convicted of, and then it was overturned. I knew he became a wrestler, and then I knew he died young. That was all I knew. This case to me is unbelievable. A lot more meat in it than anyone ever would have expected, if you ask me. Yeah, and, 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 and I want to jump in too. You know, it's interesting. Didn't know much about him other than, of course, the Mandible Claw, which was we'll get into. Um, but, you know, when Mick Foley came along in 1996 and uh, brought that in and then started making, Jim Ross started making references to Dr. Sam Shepard, the fact that mankind was wearing this mask made me think that there was some kind of Hannibal Lecter quality or characteristic to Dr. Shepard, which kind of spooked me just thinking about that. So I didn't get a clear picture. Then we had that Harrison Ford picture in 1993, the fugitive that they said was based on things. And I thought maybe that the, the, I thought maybe that the murderer was, um, maybe what was it a one-armed murder or something very rare a, a suspect that would have been difficult to find i think in that movie the the murderer might have had one arm or something like that i forget there was some kind of physical anomaly which made it seem very implausible that he was the murderer much less probable that they would actually be able to find him and apprehend him so i had no idea based on the movies and based on mick foley's character portrayal that you know he was this doctor of Pretty upstanding reputation, you know, who was a, a remarkable athlete, too, which I'm sure you're going to get into a little bit, too. So actually had, you know, uh, some athletic background to, to make the jump into pro wrestling, which is the weirdest sort of transition you could think of anyway. But, uh, yeah, so I learned a lot about him. And uh, and the more I learned about him, the more I read about him, the more I realized that uh, he didn't really seem like the type of guy who would commit this most grievous offense not only again did he murder his wife but his wife was at the time pregnant with their potentially with their second child so that's right yeah correct yeah so it is so he didn't strike me based on anything as a man who would be remotely capable of doing you know this sort of thing and again ultimately the evidence i think bore that out but uh yeah fascinating individual yeah 
I guess I had a little bit of a, an edge here because my mom, I don't know if she got it from the library or she just bought it. Uh, when I think I was like 16 or 17. Um, I read the book, uh, The Defense Never Rests, which was uh, F. Lee Bailey. And uh, the two cases that struck me the most, which ironically, now we will have done both of them on true crime, was uh, DeSalvo and, uh, and uh, you know, Sam Shepard. Yeah. And, and this this book, I think, came out in 71 or 72, which is like 22, 23 years before OJ. But I mean, he was already, yeah. you know, a celebrated attorney. But um, so now that now that Dr. Sam's been exonerated, one would think that he goes right back to his uh, surgical practice. And in fact, on May 10th, 1968, he is indeed reinstated at the Youngstown Osteopathic Hospital. I mean, what's better in wrestling than a babyface comeback? As of May yeah. 10th, 1968, <clears throat> this is as good as it gets. You know, going from a convicted murderer all the way back to a practicing surgeon. And, well, for a few days anyway. So uh, the bad girl's now going to lead us through his uh, second chance at medicine, as well as his, what Phil alluded to, his very abbreviated post-medicine career in wrestling, something very near and dear to us all. <laughs> yeah, um, quite a surprise, the, ch the change in careers, so to speak. Um, but yeah, after his release from prison, um, he opened a medical office in the Columbus suburb of Gahana. I don't know if I'm saying that right. Gahana, Ohio, on May 10th, 1968, Shepard was granted his surgical privileges, as you earlier stated, at the Youngstown Osteopathic Hospital, but his skills as a surgeon had quite deteriorated, and much of the time he was impaired, sadly, by alcohol. Um, how scary is that? A neurosurgeon drinking. Five days after he was granted privileges, he performed a dis disectomy on a woman and accidentally cut an artery. Um, the patient died the next day. Mm. On August 6th, he nicked the right Ooh. iliac wow. artery on a 29-year-old patient who bled to death internally. Uh, so needless to say, he yeah. resigned from the hospital staff a few months later after a couple of wrongful death suits had been filed by the patient's families. And he was now engaged at this time, and his soon-to-be father-in-law was professional wrestler George Strickland, who, uh, until I read up on this case, I had never heard of before. I don't know if you guys have. No. Um, I've never heard of George. No, the only Strickland I know was the, uh, the, the hall monitor in Back to the Future. <laughs> <laughs> Well, this gentleman introduced him to pro wrestling and trained him for it. He debuted in August of 1969 at the old age, especially if you're a woman in Japan, at of 45 years old as Killer Sam Shepard. <laughs> wow. Wrestling Jeez. Wild Bill Skull. Shoal? Uh, Shepard wrestled, believe it or not, 40 matches, over 40 matches mm -hmm. before his death, which was just in April of 1970. 
including a number of tag team bouts with Strickland as his partner. Uh, his notoriety made him a strong draw, which I could certainly understand. Imagine nowadays a convicted, overturned, convicted murderer becoming a professional wrestler. I think that would draw. Why didn't OJ do it? Yeah. Yeah, right? Totally. <laughs> Uh, during his wrestling career, as you mentioned earlier, Phil, Dr. Shepard used his anatomical knowledge to develop a new submission hold that he called the mandible nerve pinch. Yeah. The maneuver went on to be renamed the mandible claw and utilized and popularized by professional wrestler Mick Foley slash Mankind in 1996. So six months before he passed away, he did, in fact, marry Colleen Strickland, George's daughter. Toward the end of his life, he was reportedly drinking as much as two-fifths of liquors a day, which is 1.5 liters. Whew. Wow. On April 6, 1970, he was Damn. found dead. I know. Mm. Was found dead in his home in Columbus, Ohio, and the early reports indicated that he died of liver failure, which I'm not surprised. But the official cause of death was Wernick encephalopathy, a, a type of brain damage associated with advanced alcoholism. That's wow. Heard of. He was buried sure. in Forest Lawn right. Memorial Gardens in Columbus, Ohio. You know what's notable about Dr. Shepard was that he had a, a very good amateur background in high school and college. He wrestled undergrad and he actually wrestled in prison too, which you talk about bringing some not only uh, collegiate athleticism but some street cred into the business. So, and again, he always kept himself in really good shape. Hey, physical culture was really part of his world. I imagine more so in prison as it is now for many um, in that setting. But, uh, you know, for the time, he was about six feet tall, maybe a smidge over, and probably, I think, about 195, probably billed about 220. But uh, in, in pretty decent shape, all sure. things considered. And he, you know, he still um, had a look of youth to him, too. So, and, you know, it's interesting. He did try to set up a uh, general practice in town for a while, um, just, you know, seeing patients as, as a GP. Uh, he seemed to have attracted a lot of women, particularly, were, were very, again, you know, interested in him, you know, because he did carry this notoriety with him. Um, in fact, he saw patients. Sure. Many of them couldn't actually even pay him or, you know, would pay him with food and other such things. And he never really sought money from the patients, too. So, you know, you know, Despite his those those horrible situations he had with um, with surgery, obviously he wasn't well enough to perform anymore. He did try his hand at um, more of a general practice too, but um, again the the town the the uh, and I think he had thirty patients at one point I read too, but. It just wasn't something that held his interest or could really even sustain him at that point, you know, 
financially. But, um, and that's, I think, in part why he turned to wrestling, too, because, again, the promises from Strickland of, uh, of these big paydays. And, you know, he did perform in front of some good crowds, you know, for his, his limited run in the business for the several months. So, uh, again, semi-mains and main events. So, you know, he made an impact in the business, and he did bring a, a really a pretty innovative yeah. and very realistic sort of finisher, you know. And again, I, I I marvel at the fact that it had taken some 20, you know, six years or 25 years for someone to capitalize on it and and, and basically make it their own. So, you know, kudos to Mick Foley for, uh, for doing that anyway. Yeah. You know? Yeah, we're getting a, a notification here from our producer, Bruce, that uh, it's about time we, we cut this for a minute and uh, uh, hear from our commercial sponsors. So we will be right back, folks. The Monty and the Pharaoh Show is brought to you by... Because wine is your second favorite four-letter word. California wine, New York attitude. Good fucking wine. Yeah. Tired of that same old, same old breakfast, lunch, and dinner. Same old tasting scrambled eggs, burger, that dinner steak, ribs, or pork chops. Why not add a little bit of spice or just a touch of heat to make the difference? Change that scrambled egg with a little bit of Johnny Fabulous's John Cena Sr.'s Million Dollar Jalapeno Hot Sauce. Great on burgers, steaks, chops, and those barbecued ribs. And Nitro's Garage for all your automotive needs. Call 646-675-2349. That's 646-675-2349. For all your automotive needs, Nitro's Garage, ask for Jack. Do you treat your dog as part of the family? <laughs> well, so do we. So why not celebrate your pup's birthday with the ultimate party box? Check us out on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook at Party Pup Info, and let us make your pup's party or any celebration perfection. M&J Video Games and Collectibles. Sport and non-sport cards, wrestling items, autographed items. We buy, sell, and trade. M&J Video Games and Collectibles, located at 1049 Queen Street, Southington, Connecticut. Call us at 1-860-479-9223 or 860-93-GAMES. M&J Video Games and Collectibles. Welcome back, my friends, to the show that never ends. You know, I said that last Monday, and three days later on Thursday, Vince Russo uh, used that exact intro for his weekly uh, podcast on YouTube. So, Vinny Roof, for all you do, this one is for you. So, uh, here's another one. Here's another one, Vinny. We tease him a lot because we got him on the spot. (laughs) Welcome back. There you go. I like that. Welcome back, Carter. Welcome back. Yeah. <clears throat> you know, I, I, when, when you were talking about the, the mandibular, 
I was thinking, you know, maybe it's a good thing his uh, his finisher wasn't the uh, flying colonoscopy. That would that would have hurt. <laughs> well, Andre used like, to check the oil as as you may recall reading or hearing sometimes in a ring with someone right. he didn't yeah, like. You know? <laughs> Some people have a green thumb. Andre had well, we won't say that. It wasn't a green thumb. But, you know, there you go. I can't even imagine. So now uh, Dr. Sam's body was remained buried until September nineteen ninety seven when he was exhumed. Yes. Uh, for DNA testing as part of the lawsuit brought, brought by his son, Chip, no yep. relation to Firebreaker Chip, uh, <laughs> to, to clear his father's name. Uh, <laughs> I knew Phil would get that, too. Phil gets all my, my references. Next, next thing you know, uh, you'll be pinned to a guy named Chip. At, that, right. <laughs> right the, now, the deal. DNA testing actually did absolve Shepard of the murder. So uh, then one must ask, ask if the doc didn't do it. Who did? So uh, the bad girl is going to take us home. And I guarantee she won't be slipping on a meatball, Captain Lou Albano style. <laughs> no, 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 definitely not. <laughs> well, Playa, during the civil trial, which was ultimately dismissed as it fell outside the statute of limitations, plaintiff attorney Terry Gilbert contended that Rehard Eberling, an occasional handyman, yes. yep. this is exactly what Phil was talking about earlier, and window washer at the Shepherd home was likeliest the suspect in Marilyn's murder. Eberling found Marilyn attractive, and he was very familiar with the layout of the Shepherd home, just like you were saying earlier, Phil. I yeah. mean, this sounds so much like, yeah, it, it's him. So several years after the murder, he actually confessed to several burglaries in the area. He showed detective two detectives two rings that belonged to Marilyn Shepard, and he claimed that he stole the rings from Sham, Sam Shepard's brother's house in 1958, four years after the murder. Hmm. He also confessed to having cut his finger while washing windows at the Shepard home shortly just before the murder. That, that was his explanation of why his blood was on the premises. A polygraph test was given at the time, and it was determined that he was being truthful. Now, that's not what I was expecting. I thought for sure that wasn't going to work out for him. However, a reexamination of the results years later shifted the determination to either inconclusive or deceptive. Yeah. Isn't it funny how it's either or? So he was later convicted right. of murdering Ethel May Durkin, a wealthy elderly widow. Both of Durkin's sisters, Myrtle Frey and Sarah Bell Farrow, died under mysterious circumstances. Isn't that interesting? Mm -hmm. Frey was killed after being savagely beaten about the head and face and then strangled. Farrow died following a fall down the basement steps of the home she shared with Durkin in 1970, a fall which in which she broke both legs and both arms. Eberling died in an Ohio prison in 1998 where he was serving a life sentence for the 1984 murder of Ethel May Durkin. A fitting answer. Wow. Wow. It's wow. Cool, the great Bart Simpson, I caramba. So, uh, Let's go around the horn for any final thoughts. So I, I'm going to go first here. I, you know, uh, first of all, 
I, I have to ask you guys, how many people do you think in the United States, uh, either male or female, right now, under the age of 20, are named either Ethel or Myrtle? Is it single digits? <laughs> Definitely. That's, that's, that's one of those names that I think is, you know, it's like uh, I'm trying to think for a guy. Uh, I don't know. Kenneth, maybe. <laughs> some, some names are just have to be, you know, George become extinct. Uh, Ethel and Myrtle, I think, are two of them. But um, Absolutely. I don't know. I, I It's, you know, as bizarre, as bizarre as uh, Dr. Sam's story was, he just seemed like an odd guy to begin with. He was just really, I mean, some people are just out there. And, you know, the way he described everything was kind of odd. But I think I think that was his style. And you you have a, a handyman who, number one, had the hots for the wife. Um, you know, Dr. Sam, really, what, what motive did he have? He, he, he had a beautiful wife. He had, not only did he have a, a, a young seven-year-old son, he had another, I believe it was his son, on the way, um, booming practice, uh, lakefront home. A, a bunch of friends for good friends with the mayor. I mean, why is he going to risk all that? I mean, just, just to, you know, for, for what? And you have somebody who actually, you know, the man who worked for him, not only did he get convicted for, for a murder, but there were two others that were very mysterious, even though he wasn't charged with them. So I got to say it's, it's, uh, it's Everlyn. What do you say, Brittany? Yeah, I, I, I agree. Um, there's just too much. I mean, his blood was there. Yeah, he was a handyman there, but I, I mean, this is just too much. This is too much. And 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 the thing is, is we know that he's capable, right? We know he's capable of murder because that's where he ended up in jail for murder. So, I mean, I definitely think. I I think so. What do you think, Phil? I totally agree. It seems to me, it seems it's like Occam's razor. The the simplest ex, ex, uh, explanation is is likely the right one. So, not to bring a razor into the conversation, but I do believe, uh, yeah. And again, this guy, his penchant for brutality, as evidenced by these these murders for which he was convicted, makes it. And, and again, the, the the setting, the scene of this murder. I mean, there are just so many parallels, you know. But more interesting, and, and one of my bigger questions, because I really feel that I believe that it was he who did the murder, um, is why the editor of the paper was pushing so hard to jail and convict, why this all this pressure uh, was was put upon the court, and in a... Uh, in a, in a modest amount of time, they found him guilty. You know, again, this guy was friends with the mayor. I mean, was this something between the editor and the mayor? You know, what other factors, outside factors, were involved? Did he actually have a, a um, an adulterous relationship? And if he did, you know, who were the players in the, tangentially involved in this? And right. how do they fit in? I mean, you know, it, it seems like just a tragic setup in so many ways, you know, I mean, the world was deprived of a, of a great surgeon and in, in, in the process, oh, you know, a woman and her child lost their life. And, you know, it's, it, it's interesting how, you know, one barbaric act can lead to just so much misery. And then obviously in this case, to further barbaric acts. So, and, uh, and again, where, you know, where ultimately was the justice and, you know, this is 1954. So it kind of begs the question, can this still happen? Does this still happen? Obviously it does. And, and how frequently do these sorts of things, as Gorilla Monsoon would say, this 
miscarriage of justice. You know, how many, how many more times, you know, how often is this occurring now? You know, it, it does nothing to bolster my belief in our justice system, you know, although while my belief isn't entirely shaken, um, you know, events and cases like this do really make me wonder and worry sometimes, you know. Yeah. That's kind of my, my deal on that. I, I totally agree. And it's just so odd that a prominent surgeon, you know, why he would be the last and no, no, zero previous criminal record as far as i know right and you know by all accounts they were they were happy they were i mean they were just they were entertaining people that night so i don't know it's, you know and and as far as the adulterous thing the, the, i guess there were rumors that both of them were fooling around uh with with other people i think uh sam with a, a lab technician i think at the yeah. hospital maybe and uh i believe i thought i read that uh marilyn might have been messing around with the mayor himself so um you know and that was another thing that i forgot to you know as far as the red flags besides the fact that he didn't check on his son immediately that yeah. was the one thing that really you know i made me wonder is and there's apparently a, about a two-hour delay from when the coroner said she passed away till the time he even called the, the mayor like, why did you do that number one wow. and number two um, you know, why are you calling the mayor and not the police? But, you know, everybody reacts differently. I mean, if, if you do believe his story that he was, you know, uh, knocked out twice, yeah. he had either anywhere from a moderate to a very severe concussion. Right. And you're not going to be in the right frame of mind to do anything at that point. Yeah. So um, I just don't I don't get it either. I mean, they you know, like that judge said, he, you know, he never saw such a, a trial by newspaper before that that Cleveland press was out to get Dr. Sam for whatever reason. Yeah. Oh, horrible. Wonder makes you wonder if you, they were related to the handyman somehow. Mm. Yeah. And again, a yeah. testament to the I, power I of the I printed just... word too back then. Yeah. And his injuries. I'm yeah, telling I you. Mean, thankfully, he, I mean, actually, what's that, Phil? Just his injuries alone. How is he going to strike himself in the back of the head, crack his vertebrae like that at such an angle that could be, you know, with a potentially disastrous result? You know, he obviously was hit with some great force from behind. And uh, it's a wonder he survived that actually, too. Yeah. He's really close to, to paralysis or even worse. And, they, and who knows? Maybe uh, maybe the guy left. And I mean, because you'd wonder why, you know, the guy would obviously it was like it was overkill for Marilyn. Why didn't you know? Why didn't they do the same for him? But maybe they thought maybe they thought uh, that he he broke his neck and he was dead. Yeah, yeah. The other thing I don't quite understand is I don't know the location of the day bed that he fell asleep in and where that was in relation because apparently he fell asleep while we were watching a movie, Doctor Sam, while we were entertaining the guests. And after she let the guests out, she went upstairs. But where was that daybed? So, in, in other words, if somebody's breaking into the house and they see him, you know, what you would think that they'd go for him immediately. But I, I don't know if it was in a, a room like yeah. to the side where you know it, it, the, the guy just went right up the stairs. That part I don't know. Do you, do you guys know? I don't know. I don't. I don't know the layout of the house and and how uh, he seemingly right. was the first target. But again, it it strikes me as a situation that it was someone familiar who knew his way around, who 
probably knew what, you know, kind of what the day was going to be for them and, and how they, you know, spent their weekends and, and had parties and that sort of thing and uh, was able to unobtrusively slip in and, uh, you know, the kind of the old Pearl Harbor job from behind, you know. And uh, subsequently, I, I have to think that his first strike on Marilyn must have, you know, maybe killed her immediately, you know, and hence there was no screaming, the child wasn't awakened and that sort of thing, too, you know. So it was that, it, to me, it seems very calculated, very maybe that cool. would even Yeah. Well, and, you know, a, a dog, if you're like a repairman and you're at the house on a regular basis, at some point, you know, the, the dog is going to get used to you. And maybe, yeah. if, you know, it's used to you in the house. It's not going to be something where the dog is going to bark when you maybe, come in the house because you've yeah. done it so many times. Because I thought about that, too. Maybe it was I, like you know, Whitey Bulger. Bark, but that could be, you know, that could explain that. Yeah, maybe it was like Whitey Bulger and he packed What's dog that? biscuits and, you know, bribed the dog with dog bread biscuits yeah. every time like, like Whitey used to do. He went to PetSmart on the way, and yeah, yeah. got some uh, deer jerky. There you go, yeah, there deer go. jerky. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, this was quite the episode, and uh, I do speak for all of us in giving a huge shout-out to uh, all our friends who are watching live in the chat room, but I know that many of you will be watching later on, and we thank you for that as well. And uh, True Crime with the Bad Girl in the Play is growing by leaps and bounds. And that is all due to everyone out there supporting us. So for the Bad Girl, Brittany Brown, and the President, Phil DeCesare, this is the Playa. Wishing you a safe and prosperous week. See you next crime. <laughs> Cue that unsolved mystery music. Love it. Yeah. It's spooky, man. That's good. <laughs> <laughs>